You are listening to the Exploring Family Business podcast brought to you by Mazars, a resource of insights, information and knowledge sharing from family business owners, their advisors and key individuals involved in the day-to-day running of a family business. I am your host, Natalie Wright, Head of Family Business at Mazars UK and having worked extensively with family businesses for a number of years, I'm keen to support this valuable sector of our society. At Mazars, we believe there is nothing more personal than a family business. Every family and every business are unique. So we look forward to sharing a number of interviews, conversations and panel discussions with you each week as we explore what is top of the agenda for family businesses in the UK. Now on to this week's show. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Exploring Family Business podcast with Mazars. I'm your host, Natalie Wright, and on this week's episode, we're looking at business transformation and innovation. Never have two words or their resulting actions been more relevant than this year. And as we've seen a wave of businesses forced to pivot their business models in response to the global pandemic, this transformation has come in many forms. We've seen businesses changing product offerings, evolving services, looking at new routes to market, changing market strategies and embracing technology. It's been a different experience for every family and every business. However, transformation and innovation are not new concepts. While the events of 2020 have been unlike anything we've ever experienced, the reality is that family businesses have been adapting and embracing change for generations. It's in their DNA. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Barlow and Tom Matthew, the sister and brother team from Dunster's Farm. Contrary to their name, the family business isn't a farm. It's a food service business based in Bury in the northwest of England. Tom and Hannah were recently awarded the Entrepreneurship Award at the National Family Business Awards. And having been part of the judging panel, I can contest that they've demonstrated true entrepreneurial spirit in the way they've had to pivot their business model this year. As a result of some very quick decision making, they were able to implement a strategy to protect their family business and take it in a new and exciting direction, proving that innovation is often born out of effective crisis management. I think it's only fair that I now hand over to Hannah and Tom to explain more about themselves and their third generation family business. Hannah, I'll come to you first. Can you tell our listeners who you are, your background and your role at Dunster's Farm? Yeah, no problem, Natalie. So my name is Hannah Barlow. I'm the Joint Managing Director at Dunster's Farm. My background is in PR and marketing. I headed up the PR and comms team of a national social care organisation for around 12 years prior to joining the family business. So that's kind of where my skill base lies. Joining the family business along with my brother Tom around about five years ago. And we've been on a steady growth journey, I suppose, from that point on until we reach March this year, which we'll talk about when things definitely change for us. And Tom, can I come to you now? Can you tell the listeners who you are, your background? I'm Tom Matthew. I'm the commercial director at Dunster's Farm. I'm working closely alongside my sister, my father and my mother as the other directors. My background is actually that of a lawyer. I was in corporate law at an international law firm in London. Until at the same time as Hannah, we took the plunge, you could say, um, together and um, joined the family business. And since then, it's been, um, been an exciting journey. Thank you both for joining me today. I think I hadn't appreciated we've got a marketeer and a lawyer as well as um, business owners, managing director and a commercial director. So lots of hats, I imagine. 
the global pandemic has clearly been a catalyst of change for everyone. And I know that for you, the last five months have been hectic, to say the least. However, before we come on to that, I'm really interested to hear more about the actual process of change that you guys have been through over the last years from that first conversation that you had with your parents about their succession plan to where you are today. So could you explain the transition that you went through back in 2015 from, I guess, effectively being the earnest children to being leaders and decision makers within the business? Yeah, I think perhaps we underestimated that change ourselves in some ways. Obviously, we were quite content in our own roles within our own career progression in our own sectors. And we were we were happy there when our father approached us individually and said, look, we're looking at the succession plan in the business and we would like to know if you're interested in joining. I think we were both probably quite taken aback because prior to that point, it had never, ever been a topic of conversation within our family as to us joining the business. We were always actively encouraged to go and do our own thing and to have our own careers. I think something probably born out of our parents being uh, maybe not forced, but kind of encouraged to go straight into their family businesses. And I think they wanted us to have the opportunity to do something ourselves. So we were both asked individually whether we'd join and we both gave the same answer, which is very strange because neither of us had talked about it between ourselves either. And I said, I'll do it if Tom does it. And Tom said, I'll do it if Hannah does it. So we kind of made that decision without talking about it. But from that point on, I think we did, I suppose we threw ourselves in the deep end into the business. When we joined, we inherited a workforce, we inherited systems, we inherited processes, and we were coming at it from a very different angle. And I suppose we were quite used to a corporate world in a lot of ways. And the SME family business world is very different. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with Hannah there. I think in terms of, I suppose, Hannah's given the background of us joining and then in the business, I think I had probably, and Hannah may have shared them, that you have these expectations and you sort of expect things to, to happen quicker than they do. And I think in the sense of, you know, your question about coming in, coming in as the owner's children and then actually, you know, moving on to leading the business, it's really interesting. And I think that's a real challenge for family businesses. Because we sort of thought, or maybe we're coming from outside, we're, you know, we're competent and, and professional in our own careers, and, and that's going to translate to the family business. But it often doesn't. You know, there's people there, and that was probably our number one challenge, getting that team that was behind us and working with us and, and, and working all in the right direction. And that took longer than, you know, than I had anticipated. We didn't come in, maybe it was because of my background of working with companies who had you know, took over businesses or invested in businesses. And they'd been, you know, they'd had big budgets. They'd been able to rip out management teams and put in new teams. And in a family business, that just wasn't possible. We didn't have the budget to do that. And it it just wasn't, you know, it's a family business. People had worked there, a lot of people for a long time. So it was more of a gradual change and that we had to accept that. And I think that was hard. But over sort of, I think probably maybe a three-year period, which is really, really challenging for us both, it did seem like an eternity. We've managed to assemble a team and actually where we are sort of positioned as leaders of the business now which is really important. I think one of the interesting things Natalie as well was that when we came in there seemed to be an opinion that was unspoken with the staff that we knew what we were doing and we knew all about Dunster's Farm and food service and wholesale which really wasn't the case we of course we grew up with the business I think it's definitely kind of in our blood 
whenever myself or Tom, we are quite entrepreneurial, but whenever we talked about setting up a business of our own, we'd always end up coming back to food. We just can't get away from it, unfortunately. But I think everyone just assumed that because it's a family business, that we would just hit the ground running and that was how it would be. But obviously that wasn't the case. We had to learn every aspect of the business and that took its time to do that. And we wanted to know exactly how things work so that we could improve things and make them better. But like Tom said, that first three years, I'd say, were a real challenge. And we probably a few times wondered what what we'd done, why we'd changed career paths. But, you know, we were never going to quit. We were going to make sure it worked. I think just on that, I think there is that element of with when you're working with the team, when you come in, there's there's a couple of things that really do, you know, they are they are true. And there's some, they are very suspicious of you coming in from outside. They're concerned maybe about their jobs or what's going to happen. So that can sort of trigger behavior that can be counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve. If they're trying to hide things from you or, you know, people, people can be suspicious of change. We all know change management's very, very hard to, to deal with. And what's a bigger change than, you know, a management team of maybe 40 years stability coming in and then there's this new generation, you know, coming in. It is just, yeah, I think it's just that personnel management thing that you have to do and you have to get that core team the quicker you can get that core team behind you and working for you. And it's like a tipping point. Once you've got enough people working with you, it then, it then becomes a lot easier. Picking up on what you said there about change, I mean, this is something that we do often find working with family businesses. So as the business moves on through generations, one of the biggest challenges is achieving that balance between the traditions of a family business with actually implementing innovative ideas, business practices, so that you can enhance the growth and profitability of the business. What was the single biggest change that you introduced, if you don't mind me asking, when you moved into your roles as MD and commercial director? And how did you approach it, given kind of the, the barriers that you initially faced and the, the preconception, I guess, that you knew everything about the business? Yeah, I think when we came into the business, we quite quickly realised several months in after finding our feet and having a a dig around that there was two big challenges systems and people and whether oh, this i still trying to debate whether why we did it this way but we went systems first and i think maybe that was because it was easier because systems can't answer you back but uh, it's also i think because the systems we realized were at sort of breaking point for the size of the business they were creaking and it did need a sort of extensive overhaul so in terms of the biggest change that we did it was probably changing the ERP system. And that involved the, the whole process of how we pick. We moved from paper pick to voice picking in the warehouse, for instance. And the whole sort of heart and lungs of the business was, was ripped out and changed. And that took a sort of six to 12 month learning process, looking at all the options that were out there. And then a sort of three to four month implementation process, which resulted in a sort of overnight switch on. That was the biggest change and it, it delivered huge benefits to the efficiency of the operation. We did that sort of probably, probably about two years in or one to two years in. I think when you talk about trying to keep the values and the, the ethos of the company going, whilst we did that change, the values of the company didn't change. It was our efficiencies that changed. So it made us actually better. I think a lot of people felt that by bringing in technology and systems, we'd lose that kind of customer face-to-face you know, dumpsters are the friendly food service, family run. If you ring them up and you've got a problem, they'll sort it out on that day. People were very concerned that we were going to go too corporate and too much like the big boys. You know, we're in an industry with a lot of 
big food service providers and they are our big competitors. But our kind of USP is that we're nimble and we're flexible. We can go quicker than them. We can change more effectively than them. So we were adamant that we didn't want to lose that flexibility, but we knew that actually in order to keep going, we needed to make sure the systems behind us were professional and you know up to date and could give us the the kind of the power we needed to move forward. So I think once the systems were in place and everyone could see that actually the company wasn't changing, it was actually just getting better and they had better, you know, data, they had better systems and everything kind of worked a lot more efficiently. Then obviously no one said thank you to us. But um I think people realized that it was the best move for the business. Yeah, I think a really good example of that actually just on a micro, really micro scale was was pick accuracy. And and I think, you know, people could have feared that, you know, oh well, that's what customers like about us. If there's a mistake, we'll go out of our way to fix it. We'll run out with, you know, one pack of cheese to the other side of the country. You know, I can tell you what customers like more is not making a mistake in the first place. So it is it's that sort of thing is it is a good example of it. We didn't have to lose our customer service and our friendly, our family business ethos. We could just deploy it elsewhere and for, for, for better, you know, be, better use rather than just doing it because we had to. Do you think that by you both carving out independent careers separately before coming into the family business, that it's helped you think more objectively about, you know, that your assessment of strengths and weaknesses of the businesses and where you had to focus maybe some more of the, the radical transformations that you've had to implement? Absolutely. I think it's a really good job that we both weren't lawyers and came into the business because one, we'd be fighting over the jobs we both wanted to do. And two, I think it just means that our skill set is very different, but it means that we can work in a complementary fashion. So we both very much have the same vision for the business and we both have the same determination. However, our skill sets are very different. I think it just lends itself to the business that we're running in that we basically can split the business in two in terms of customers and suppliers and we can work on the aspects of the business where our skills are best used. Yeah and I think you know talking to other family business owners I think that's a a common problem and it is hard when people I think definitely I would always recommend if possible doing time outside of the business I think is 100% beneficial you know the skills you learn and the perspective it gives you is, is massive and beneficial to the business in the long run and I appreciate that's not always possible in some businesses, but there are elements to bring that in, aren't there? There's sort of training or, you know, things you can do outside the business that help the development if, you, if you're already involved in a family business. So I think that outside perspective is, is absolutely massive. Absolutely. And picking up on a point that you mentioned before, actually, Hannah, once you, you know, decided you wanted to go on to this kind of change process, I guess, you talked about values. and do you think it, that actually voicing what the family values were, what the biz, you know, the values of the business were to your employees, the, the existing management and the rest of the family, did that help you create more buy-in from them when you wanted to affect change because you were clear about what your values were? I think it's an ongoing process, Natalie. I think it's something you can't just do once. And I think it's something that me and Tom are really conscious of that you know, this is a family business and that is our real, like a unique thing and that we need to hold on to that. It's something that we have that other people don't have. We've got a story to tell and we've got history behind us. And even though we are, you know, absolutely adamant that change is vital and transformation will never stop, we don't want to lose 
kind of where we've come from. So I think we do, you know, when we're inducting new staff and when we're talking to our management team, I think our passion for the business comes across and that's kind of what we're about. And I think the fact that we're a family business really helps. But I think that, you know, one of the big projects that myself and Tom are working on at the moment is how we instill our values and vision for the company in every single member of our team. And I think sometimes you can think that's quite naive, like not everyone's going to buy into that. But I think more we can ensure, especially that our leadership team and management team buy into it, which we're confident they do. And the more we can push that to the rest of the team, I think results will speak for I think that's, again, a really good um, example of what we learned in the sort of, could we say, corporate world, and then we brought to the family business world. I think as a family business, we kind of had a set of values which were almost unwritten, unspoken, but they were there and they were very strong. Whereas you can look at corporates where they'll have values plastered on every single company has the values plastered on the website, but they're, you know, quality, service, they're things that really don't really mean much, and they're not very personal. You know, probably 90% of the world's companies have the same values or some of. So it's, it's a case of, I think, what we've learned is that those values are really important. And there's a reason why everybody has those values, but they have to mean something. And that's a part of the piece that's still ongoing, like Anna said, and that we're working on at the moment is formalizing those values, putting them in a way that they're easy to understand and really tangible for the people who work, work with us. I think that's a really important point. And um, we discussed on last week's episode with Ari Mickle and Paul Andrews about, you know, values being so key to family businesses, but it's not just having them, it's the way you communicate them, not just to your employees, to your team, but also your supply chain, your customers, and making sure that you really live and breathe those values. And that is what makes family businesses unique. But if we look at innovation now as well, Family businesses are renowned for being innovative, for kind of staying one step ahead of the competition, thinking much more longer term and and really getting others to buy into the concept and their ideas. We know innovation is only really successful if you have a team to support you and to implement that vision. So how have you managed to keep your employees engaged and motivated, particularly this year? I think we're fortunate in that we've got a good team around us. And I think that lockdown has kind of brought that even more to the fore. I mean, we knew it, but we definitely know it now. So, yeah, I think, you know, we we employ people that have got, you know, the same attitude that we have or the attitude that we want our team to have. People that are flexible, that, you know, everyone has their role, but no jobs too small. So it, it has really been all hands on deck, I suppose, over the past few months. And people have really kind of, helped to keep things going and done everything they can that we've not had anyone who's kind of not pulled their weight so it's you know it's really shown that people it's the attitude and you know their values as well they've got to be aligned with ours I think when we're recruiting in the future it's something that we're really going to push even more I think we've been probably quite fortunate that we've recruited those people because we've probably been looking for more skill set kind of things in the past but now we'll probably look much more at kind of their own values and how that fits without. I think certainly if we, if COVID had happened when we just we were sort of six months in, I would have you know I'd hate to think about it because the team we had then is is very different to the team we have now and and the culture and the attitude and that's what's really come through during COVID nineteen is that the the response from the staff has been brilliant and I think there is an element of that with it being such a global issue and so serious that it's 
it has in a way it's sharpened everyone we've had to react quickly and we've probably pushed through things that would never normally get done in that space of time but that really is a reflection on how the staff have realized how serious the situation could potentially be and then quickly adapted and and bought into new ideas and and and, and executed them and i think as well the fact that we kind of provide our managers in particular with a lot of autonomy so they feel empowered to go and make those changes and do what's needed and they just got on with it we asked them to do things we had you know we had to have team meetings over zoom to start with and then on teams and we did it every morning made sure everyone knew what page we're on but me and tom were working so fast behind the scenes we kind of just had to let them get on with it and they did I guess coming back to your point about that you are a very nimble business if, if you're giving them that autonomy so they can make decisions you're not micromanaging them it's giving them the power to lead forward if they need to as you both picked up on covid there um you know we can't have any conversation nowadays without talking about what's happened this year can you tell us about the the challenges that you faced as as a business but also perhaps as individuals as well when we went into lockdown in March and, and what changes you've had to implement to pivot the business because I understand it's been quite significant. Absolutely it's been the biggest challenge the company's ever faced. I know we've had challenging times before and if our father was on the on the podcast today then you know he's had to really reinvent the company so many times but this he's never seen anything like this. In his 40 years of kind of being a director this is totally out there, totally new. So yeah, overnight, 95% of our customers closed their doors due to the government restrictions. Our main customers are in the education and hospitality sector, which obviously meant that we didn't have those customers. We did have a small number of school customers that were open for children to attend. Um, so we did have to keep going because we had to fulfill those contracts. And we also do some um, NHS contracts as well. So there wasn't the opportunity to close the doors. That was never an option. Um, the wheels had to keep turning so we had to think really quick and I suppose the term now used is pivot the business. Yeah absolutely I think we were down to we were quickly down to about 10% of volume really it was it was it was frightening uh, you know people have, you know we've never seen anything like it and and it stayed low and, and in terms of our business then because we were so heavily weighted towards education then once other people were the lockdown was easing and people were seeing trade pick up a little bit we had the summer holidays, so it stayed low. Um, so it's been a long time now at, at 20%, you know, sort of 20% mark. But we're confident with the plans we've got in place and, and the moves we've made. Obviously, the pivot that Hannah referred to as we pivoted straight into delivering direct to the to consumer. So we went to do home deliveries. This was born out of, if anything, requests from the public to buy stuff when we were back in those sort of stockpiling days and no loo on the shelves. We had a warehouse full and, 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 and things like that, flower shortages, stuff like that. So we were asked to do it and we did it really quickly. We opened the doors for contactless collect first. And then within two weeks, Hannah did a great job working with a, a web design team to, to get a website up and running in, in two weeks. We have a website, obviously, for our account customers, but to process payments and deal with the public directly was a very different, a very different beast. And we had to just react to that. Our customer service team dealing with the public rather than trade accounts, completely different again. But they just had to adapt and roll with it because it all happened so quickly. And we're still doing those home deliveries today, which is fantastic. So we've got another angle to the business and another a revenue stream, which hopefully, amongst other sort of diversification that we've done in the period, makes us more resilient in the future 
and hopefully allows us to, to, to bounce back really strong. I guess then what you've said about the other changes that you've undertaken over the last five years around people and processes systems, a lot of that probably helped you in this period because you had the right team, you had more effective systems in place, but you were in a better position than if this had happened, say, three, four, five years ago. Looking back on the last five years, is there anything else that you would have done differently or that you wish you'd have known beforehand? Obviously, none of us knew that this was coming. No, no one could foresee it. But is there anything that you wish that maybe you'd have addressed earlier or that you need to start accelerating now in preparation for maybe where the future lies? My main sort of thing on that would have just been, to be honest, there's not much in terms of how we would have done it and what we would have done. I think the core things we've done is changing the ERP, introducing the CRM, changing it to some more, much more of a performance mindset and people you know, being managed by the performance and being measured for what they do and rewarded as such. That's all stuff that I think me and Hannah are very passionate about. And, I, and I, in a way, business basics, you know, you've got to get those things right. But I do think you know, from a personal perspective, I think patience would have been, that's one thing I would have told myself five years ago, be patient with it. You know, it won't come overnight. In a family business, things do take longer, and or, or you know you can't just you know, gut things very very quickly. You've got to you've got to be patient, and you've got to work with people because at the end of the day, people are the business and the people you employ. So you've you've got to you know sometimes it's helping them to change rather than just saying that the change is happening and either you're with us or with against us sort of thing. You've got to really be patient with people, and I think that was be, that would be my main learning point. I think um, practically we wish we had had a better phone system in place because working remotely right at the start of lockdown was a real challenge. We did it, but we had to work quite quickly to get kind of our comms right. And everyone in the world wanted to do that. So it would have been probably better to have done that before. But I suppose, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But yeah, I think in terms of kind of what Tom was talking about, about ourselves personally, I think We've had to make a lot of tough decisions since we joined the business, but I think sometimes when you're busy doing the everyday stuff, you can easily kind of shy away from some of the big decisions that need to be made. And I think sometimes those tough decisions are the right decisions and that's why they're tough. So I think don't shy away from them. Make sure that if, you know, if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. And I think obviously with COVID, we've had to make some even tougher decisions and we've had to really kind of just go with what's been needed to be able to ensure the business survives but we should really probably act like that every day yeah i completely agree and, and you know and when i said patience i think this it's not to be confused with you know putting things off it, it really is it's patience for your own sort of well-being in the sense that you're not getting so frustrated you know it's saying you know having having that perspective but it is one thing we have learned is if you think you're right and you think it through you probably are right you know if you discuss it together and, and, and then do it, you know, get on with it, you know, because the worst thing to do is sit around with it, you know, and think about it. So, yeah, going with your gut, I suppose, is uh, something that we've learned as well. I guess that's it, isn't it? It's coming back to communication again. If you're talking about it between yourselves, between the management team, you understand that you're all on the same page, then putting plans into action rather than putting it on the too difficult to deal with pile, which often in a family business, when there's that personal dynamic to it as well, it can, can yeah. fall into that category. We had that as well. We had the sort of issue of people try, at the start trying to tell us that what we thought was the case wasn't the case, but they may have had an agenda. And, and, you know, and if you think about it enough and you do your analysis, 
you know, go with it. Really do trust that and then make your decisions based on that. The issue we had was actually putting in the systems first so we could get the data that we could rely on to make the right decisions about the people, about the direction of the business. So we had to get that data first. And that's what took us that extra time because when we came in, we probably assumed wrongly that there was more data there than we thought. So there was, there was an issue. But I think in terms of, yeah, absolutely, you know, you've got to make those decisions. You've got to make the tough ones. And this is quite a broad question, but thinking ahead, specifically for the family business sector, what, what in your view is the, the biggest challenge that they're going to face beyond 2020? I think given that there's a lot of SME businesses within the family business sector, I think keeping up with technology in terms of digital is just massive for everyone. You know, digital in the past six months has probably sped up six years. And I don't think we can get away with that. There's more users of digital than ever before. It's opened up to an extended age range. A lot of our customers who are ordering online are elderly customers who some of them have never really ordered online before, but they've had to during lockdown. So I think that just keeping up to date with technology has always been important for any business, but I think even more so now. So that's something where we're really pushing ahead on even more than we have done previously, I suppose. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I I think that the biggest mistake family businesses could make, and it is linked into tech and and other development, is pretending things will go back to normal. You've got to be realistic. And and the world has changed like crazy amounts. And it's not going to go back, I don't think, ever in many ways. And, And if you just sit there and think, oh, it'll all be over if we just if we just hold tight, it will all be over, then there's going to be a huge chasm opened up between you and either the family businesses and small SME sector who have adapted, adopted and moved on and the big businesses who obviously have the resources to, to quickly change or, or invest and, and adapt. So I think it's a really, it is a dangerous time as well as an exciting time of opportunity. It's also a dangerous time if you just hope that things will go back to the way they used to be. One of the other trends that we think was probably here to stay is kind of the shop local and looking at the values of a business more. So I think family businesses have got such an opportunity because, you know, we family businesses have strong values. They've got history. They've got local connections. And I think that that's something that can really kind of speed up growth for family businesses and really help grow loyal customer base. I think that's a really valid point, actually, and it's certainly a trend that we're seeing and you know, being able to embrace that now that people are looking more locally and buying into the values that a family business stands for. We need to make sure that you know, we're spreading the word far and wide so that people can understand how they can support those businesses and actually support local communities as well. Yeah, absolutely agree, Natalie. I think that's, it's really important that, you know, as people start to be more aware of what SMEs can genuinely do for the community that people live in. Whereas, you know, that is a, a, just such an advantage that they have, really, if they leverage it in the right way over the big national and multinational companies, because they can try to do it, but it's only, it's only ever going to really be a, a lip service. So it's a, it's a great position for SMEs in, in one way. Thank you so much for your time today, guys. And thank you for being so honest as well in your assessment and your answers. Um, I'm sure that your experience will resonate with many of our listeners and particularly for that next generation of family business leaders who are now starting to come through and 
thinking about how to step in and affect change, but without feeling like an intruder, for want of a better word. So that brings the second episode of the Exploring Family Business podcast with Mazars to a close. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to the series and leave a review on iTunes. It will help us to extend our reach to the family business community that we can continue to share our knowledge and that of our guests. And if you'd like to know more about anything we've discussed today, I've detailed links in the show notes to our guests, along with our contact details. Join me next week when I'll be speaking with Joe McSween, former managing director of world-leading haggis brand McSween. Joe was part of the third generation of the family business and talks candidly about how she worked hard to instill effective governance so they could build and grow a sustainable international business. I will also be joined by Alan Frost, who leads the consulting team at Mazars. Having grown up in a family business himself, Alan is now using his knowledge and experience to support other family businesses to incorporate more effective systems and processes to enhance their overall performance and profitability while staying true to their values. Until then, thank you for listening.